This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Okay, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, we're going to be taking a look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And I want to do this because, well, the, the Philippians have been anxious about Paul and his situation. He's been arrested, he's in jail, and so he, Paul, hastens to tell them of his circumstances. But even more, he wants them to know of the results that have occurred because of his present situation. So he begins this section we're going to look at in verse 12 with, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So the Philippians thought, oh, Paul, what do you go? Oh, oh no, it's terrible. He's not, he's not going to be able to preach anymore. He, he used to go out from city to city preaching the gospel and, and, and doing so much good work. And, and now he can't. He can't do it anymore. They were anxious and things they thought were bleak, but things aren't always as they appear, do they? So Paul wants them to be able to see the reality. So his present situation is that of imprisonment, but Paul takes a very positive view of the circumstance. From the perspective of the church in Philippi, think that his imprisonment would hinder the progress of the gospel to the Gentiles. But Paul says that's the opposite, that the opposite has happened. His view is positive, because he knows who is in charge and that God and his word cannot be defeated. So often, when tragedy strikes our lives, we tend to react in negative and anxious ways and with defeatist attitudes. We would expect someone who has managed to get themselves arrested and landed in prison to react in a similar fashion. But there is no discouragement or thoughts of giving up with Paul. You don't see him express a defensive attitude, and there's no lashing out as others as the reason why he's in the circumstance that he's in. Rather, Paul is rejoicing, and he's anxious to inform the Philippians about the good things that have occurred as a result of his imprisonment. Paul knows of these good results personally, because he has seen them in those outside of the Christian fellowship and from within. We see that in Philippians here. But I want us to notice the, uh, some of the consequences from the perspective of the various groups that were affected in some way by the imprisonment of Paul. There's a, 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 few gr- a few groups here, and I want to start with the first one there in verse 13. This is the Praetorian Guard. Paul writes, My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian Guard is usually understood as the emperor's bodyguard. 
Now, these men were awesome. They were handpicked. They received double pay. They got special privileges. We know that there was about 9,000 such soldiers, primarily stationed in Rome. But, you know, some could be dispersed out to other parts of the empire as the needs arose. Now, Paul's case was known throughout this whole Praetorian Guard, this whole group of soldiers. They're likely that he, he was chained to these men at various times, you know, when he was being transported to and from the court or, or on other occasions. We know from Luke's account of uh, this imprisonment that the apostle was incarcerated for two years. So the soldiers would have had um, ample opportunity to get to know Paul in his circumstances. And his case was unusual. It did not follow that general pattern, uh, you know, of the criminal element. These soldiers would routinely encounter, the, you know, a, a typical type of person. And in Paul's case, his was based on his preaching, his religion, uh, something of an anomaly for these men. You know, we can imagine that their contact with Paul allowed them to ask him questions and also provide the apostle with the opportunity to teach them about Christ. They also would be present there uh, at the court hearings and, and probably listen in on the testimony. Curiosity about this unusual case and this interesting man would have spread through the military grapevine so that the whole guard was familiar with Paul and his circumstances. But the conversation about Paul also spread to, as the text tells us, everyone else. Now, I think this has to refer to people throughout the city of Rome. They were becoming familiar with the case and were being made aware of the reason for his trials and the religious beliefs that he was preaching. Christ was being made known throughout the city because of Paul's imprisonment. Paul is not discouraged by his circumstances because of the great results he sees in the progress of the gospel. For Paul, the preaching of the gospel is priority number one, no matter the risk. Do you remember, if you've been listening, a, a few weeks back, I talked about the parable that Jesus gave of, of the mustard seed. And Jesus, uh, over there in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 10, I think, he says, um, To what shall I compare the kingdom of heaven? It is like a mustard seed that a farmer takes and throws out into his field, and, the, and it grows into a tree. Now, a mustard seed is very small and insignificant. If you, if you were a farmer, you throw that, that seed out there into the field, you would not be able to find it again. It's just too insignificant. That, that's the kingdom. In the time of Christ, who knew about the kingdom? Really nobody, very few. Certainly not Rome. But eventually, he, Jesus was saying, that kingdom was going to start to grow into a tree. And that's what's happening here in Rome. The guards and everyone else were walking by Paul, and they saw this tree, and they were asking, what is this? What is this tree? And they were asking Paul about, what's this tree we're seeing? Ah, glad you asked. They're starting to take notice of the kingdom. It's growing. But think about Paul's situation and how he deals with this. Uh, a long time ago, there was a preacher, I'm not going to name who, but they had been highly regarded, now retired on a limited income. 
And so he was delighted when some businessmen approached him and said that they wanted him to be part of their company. Because of his sterling reputation, they wanted him to be their treasurer. He was given a decent salary to sign the company's paperwork, make out its checks, and all those things. However, the company turned out to be a fraud. The businessmen were dishonest. And when the officers of the company were taken to court, the only man whose name was on the paperwork was, you guessed it, this preacher's. And he had to go to jail, even though he had done nothing wrong, really. How would you have responded to a situation like that? Would you be calling out, that's not fair, it's not right, and demanding rights and all this stuff? Well, I'm sure he may have done that some. Maybe not, I don't know. But when you look, when you see what he did, you can tell that was not his primary way of thinking. He saw an opportunity to serve Christ in the, uh, in the prison. He started a prison ministry. He preached. He counseled. He baptized people into Christ. He lived as a free man because he loved Jesus and was willing to live for him. He didn't just live for Christ when things were going well. He lived for Christ even when life was unfair and difficult. That's the essence of true love. Because true love is all about sacrifice. Anyone can live for Jesus when things are going good. Anybody can put a bumper sticker on their car that reads, Honk if you love Jesus. But when things get rough and tough, when you get challenged, that's that's when you see it. Toward the end of chapter 1 here in Philippians, Paul writes, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Granted, it's going to happen. And it's a blessing because then you can be a blessing to others as well. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Let's look at the next group, the Shy Brothers. Verse 14. So Paul uh, turns to the effect his situation is having on his fellow Christians in Rome. And he says there in verse 14, And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That's because of Paul's situation. Most of the Christians now have found that courage to speak openly about Christ. This might be due to the fact that After two years of following his case, Paul's case, they can see that he will now be acquitted and released. But also, they have seen the example set by Paul. He's he's speaking out without fear, even when the Roman Empire has come down upon him. That's given them all increased courage. Paul, no matter what his situation, he saw it as a blessing and used it as a blessing. And we see that all throughout the Bible. Joseph, you know, he Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, thrown in jail, but he never gave up. It was always a blessing, and he always kept working hard because, because God was blessing him, but ultimately God was blessing him for what reason? To bless his people. He brought his father Israel and the rest of his family down to Egypt to survive the famine. Esther, who was uh, part of the, in the captivity, the Jews who were taken off into captivity, was made queen queen. But when things were looking dire for the Jews, her uncle Mordecai told her, hey, you need to talk to the king. But she was scared about it, right? 
But he told her, Uncle Mordecai, he said, Who knows, you were probably put in this position at such a time as this in order to take care of the issue. God blessed you to bless his people. God blessed Paul to bless the church. Think about that in your life. What blessings do we have? Or what situation, no matter how bad, can we still be a blessing to the church? Think about it. Don't be shy. Don't get scared. Look at Paul for the example there. Next, verses 15 and 17, we have envious preachers. Oh, man. Among the brothers, there's different motives, right, for speaking out for Christ. Paul writes in verse 15, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. This suggests that some are actually envious of Paul and that their intention is to cause him trouble by their preaching. Man, why would that be? Why would that be? You know, envious... I think here in this particular passage means that you have a desire to deprive a person of the desired thing that you want rather than gain it for yourself. You want to have it, but you don't want them to have it, but you don't want to work for it, but you don't want them to have it, so you want it. That's I think, is what's going on here. They have this attitude, this attitude of envy. Their intention is to cause strife. This is a a term, that strife term means cause discord and contention. And it likely indicates that these preachers wanted to cause a rift between Paul and other Christians. Verse 17 elaborates on this a little bit more for us. Paul says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in in my imprisonment. So they're Motivation is selfish, selfish ambition, because of an arrogant spirit. And the term used here denoted uh, and was used in ancient times to mean self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. And after, uh, and even though their preaching was not from pure, I'm sorry, their preaching was not from pure motives, pure being unmixed, that gold without alloy. They were preaching Christ, they were preaching truth, but their motives mixed it with other things. They had a purpose for preaching, and it wasn't for the blessings of the kingdom. It was for themselves. They they had these, this ulterior motive in preaching with a desire to hinder Paul, and their aim was to cause him distress. And it does not mean that they wished to somehow afflict any kind of bodily harm upon Paul, but rather they were looking to raise up some kind of inner turmoil with Paul. They may have projected their own way of thinking into the apostle, considering him to be you know, just as self-promoting as they were. So they may have thought that with their success in preaching, and Paul, uh, uh, the, the apostle Paul would become envious of their accomplishments because They were doing well, but he was stuck in prison. And so if Paul saw himself in competition with these preachers, as they seemed to view them, then his annoyance would be heightened by the fact that his imprisonment kept him from competing with them on a level playing field. They were free and unhindered to preach. He was confined confined for a while. So I think that's what's going on here. 
let's just move on to the loving preachers. So that's the envious preachers. But there's another motive. That's those preachers who have a loving motivation, verses 15 and 16. And this is in contrast to those envious preachers. Paul, Paul says that there are some also, he's talking about who preach, from goodwill. And this is likely goodwill toward Paul, since the apostle is showing an opposite attitude from the envious preachers. These brothers have a concern for Paul and wish to love and honor and aid him in his work. As to motive, Paul writes, verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, right? This is agape love, which seeks the highest good for what? Its object. These loving preachers preach in ways that exhibit this kind of love for Paul. And, and also note here, this, this is what I was trying to think of a second ago. Note the contrast between the two groups of preachers, not only in their motive, but also their perspective. These loving preachers know, K-N-O-W, they know about these things. While the envious preachers, they only think or they imagine. They're not you know, doing any kind of research. Those who know of Paul's calling and his work and his responsibility in spreading the gospel understand his imprisonment. The envious group perceives Paul as, well, themselves, full of a selfish ambition. And so they think, they think that they, they imagine they can cause him distress in his imprisonment. See the difference? The love of those supporting Paul is not the love of affection. Agape love is an informed love. Informed. And so they knew the importance of the office that Paul is in as an apostle. And they are aware of his track record. Accordingly, they understood that his imprisonment was in divine hands. And having this kind of love, they acted in such a way as to exhibit it, right? Hmm. I get a little bit of water there. <clears throat> so Paul response, his response to both groups is, well, it, it's simple. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I, here it is, rejoice. Such a response comes from the genuineness of Paul's heart. His whole life, his whole ministry, have been committed to the Lord. And the spread of the, of the gospel, he says, what then? That, that suggests an, an attitude of, what does it matter what people think of me? What's important here to Paul is that Christ is proclaimed. And it indicates that the envious preachers were not false teachers. The problem with their preaching was not their content. It was their motives. You can have bad preachers and yet still have good preaching. It just depends on the motive, right? Some, as he was saying, Paul was saying, preach in pretense. And this means that some cover their true motives for preaching Christ. They preach out of purely selfish motives. However, the loving preachers 
preach in truth. Their motives were pure, and their concern was to present the truth to all who stood in need of it. So, therefore, since Christ is being preached, Paul's reaction is one of joy. In this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Wow. Paul is able to subordinate his own self-interest to that of the gospel. A presumption of the entire situation is the importance and necessity of preaching the gospel. Paul's unconcerned about his own circumstances and is certainly not bothered by self-serving preachers. What is uppermost in his mind is the preaching of Christ. And, And note also that what is preached is Christ. Not the church, not doctrinal issues or anything else. Christ is the answer to the needs of the people in darkness. Now, certainly, we we must bring people to the understanding of what the church is and doctrine, but we make a mistake in not presenting Christ to the world. So many times we evangelize by promoting the true church rather than giving a true picture of the church, right? Of Christ. I'm sorry, of Christ, not the church. Giving a true picture of Christ. I want to start closing out with this with a particular story here. It's an illustration about this lady with a, a boy. They moved into a new home, and this lady wondered about the neighbors. Would they accept her children? Or I'm sorry, her and her husband. And she was wondering about you know, will they would they think about the kids? You know, some people don't like having kids next door. What about the dog? Is the dog going to be too loud and bark too much? Well, she soon found out. Shortly after they moved in, her kids were out in the backyard playing with their football, kicking it around, and it sailed over the fence into the yard of an elderly man who lived next door. When her son jumped the fence to get it, the man chased him out, swore at him, told him it better not happen again. (laughs) A few days later, her dog was barking. And so this lady went out to quiet him. The man was out there waiting for her. He told her that if she didn't keep the dog quiet, he'd call the police. And then cursed again. Poor lady, she was getting frustrated, you know. Her her cheeks started turning red, little hot, angry words came to her mind. But she did not express them. Instead, she went inside and prayed. She gave thought to how she could reach out to this man. And so later that day, while she was baking blueberry muffins or something, she made an extra batch. And calling on God for courage, she took a large plate of them to the man next door. She told him, I made these for you. He didn't say much, but he accepted the muffins. And in the weeks that followed... This lady continued to show kindness to this man. And gradually, over time, his attitude softened. And one day, she led him to Christ. Right? 
We can learn something from the Apostle Paul within this paragraph of Philippians 1, 18 to, or 12 to 18. <clears throat> Paul's optimism in the face of negative circumstances is to be admired. Beneath the surface lies the heart of a genuine man of God. His optimism is derived from the realization that God is in control and that good will ultimately prevail. Paul knew that God and his word could not be defeated. He knew that at times it might appear that Satan had the upper hand, but he was assured of a complete victory for the Lord. He had witnessed this in the cross of Christ, which gave the appearance of defeat, right? But became the ultimate means of victory for the world. In like manner, his own circumstances may appear to be a loss. But Paul knew, he knew of the great gain that could come of it. So, it was easy for him to say, in this I rejoice. When we are able to see things as Paul saw them, then we will also find joy in trials. And I know I know a lot of you out there are, are worried, anxious, nervous, scared about things to come because of the election. Don't lose heart. Remember who you are. You're part of the body of Christ. You're Christians. You have a better home. In this life, we ought to expect we'll deal with difficult times and have stress and, and heartache and difficult things. But do your best to make the most of every situation, even in the negative ones. Find courage in the situation with Paul and in others like this lady with the old grumpy man next door. And find ways to be a good light. Find ways to show optimism. Find ways to show the real joy of Christ, something that cannot be taken away from you. You can choose not to use it or have it, but no one can steal it from you because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Well, thank you for joining me today. Stay strong. Enjoy the, the cold, wet weather. It's nice to have rain for, uh, for so long. And be, always be thankful to the Lord for these blessings that we do have. No matter how small they may seem, they could grow into great trees for us. Thank you, and take care. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.